Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is financing delinquent loans in today's market. I have the perfect expert, Phil Laren. Phil is principal at Actogram Financial. Previously, he was with Countrywide, Option One, and Ohio Savings, and some other companies. Phil is an expert on capital markets, and I'm thrilled to have him with us today. Hi, Phil. Hey, hey, Pat, for that very warm introduction. Well, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, and I think it's interesting, especially when the market is changing and this whole issue about delinquency is coming about, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But let's start in the beginning. So how did you get into the world of mortgage banking? I think like most people, you know, you don't wake, uh, you know, grow up in kindergarten and say, I want to be a mortgage banker when I grow up. You kind of stumble into it and that's uh, that's how I did it. I was busy uh, with uh, writing a, my dissertation in economic forecasting and, and answered an ad to, to be a MSR analyst. I didn't even know what MSR was, but anyway, I, I got uh, started, uh, took the job and kind of never looked back. So it's it's a really a fun career in mortgages because it's it's got a lot of science behind it, but it also has a lot of people too. So I like that mix of human and uh, and science together. It's a, it's a good combination. Well, certainly we're lucky that you joined us because you bring a lot of certainly science component to it. And that's why I always love talking to you. But now that you're in your your own company, what are your challenges in the in your current position? Because you've done everything in mortgage banking. Yeah, it is. You know, every time uh, you know, as you know, Pat, running your own business, you know, the first. Uh, the, the biggest challenge when you have your own business is is running a business. So where do you do you hire more people? How do you market yourself? Where do you go? Uh, what's your next step? And so you know, I I love those challenges, uh, but uh, but they certainly keep you busy, and uh, sometimes you lose some sleep overnight. But mostly, it's very satisfying. But running a business is a challenge in itself. I'd say in particular for Actigram, uh, Actigram Financial, you know, we're providing capital market services into the mortgage industry. And if you think about it, you know, who who are those names? Who are the, the people that I kind of, not, not exactly butt heads, but people I have to deal with are, you know, the, the largest banks in the world, you know, the Wells Fargo's and the Bank of America's and, and the biggest outfits on Wall Street, you know, Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse and, and you name it. So th- those guys kind of trying to be a, a little a little mouse among the elephants is, is always a, a challenge to get your, your name in front of people. Well, I can relate to that myself. (laughs) I understand perfectly what you're saying. And let's talk about some trends that you see in mortgage bankers. One of the things that I've seen this year, obviously, I see certainly lenders talking about they understood rates were going to move up, but it was so fast and so quick. They're kind of in shock. Talk about kind of some of those trends from your viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. That those higher rates so far, so fast, uh, I think the last time we saw something move up that fast was in the 2004, 2005. I remember uh, maybe it was 2003 even uh, with uh, where we had about a hundred basis point rise in rates over the course of you know, maybe 45 days. So this is a similar spike to that. So if that happens every 20 years, it's kind of funny because it means there's a lot of people in the business 
who've never even seen that. You know, they're used to kind of a, a refi friendly environment. And so so having this kind of depth of the rate term refi, at least in the short term, is is causing a lot of people to have to reevaluate and and figure out how to how to reach out to the people. Um, so so yeah, that's I think what the main push on the on the market trends. I, I'd also say, you know, one of the big trends, and this has been going on for years and only accelerated during the pandemic, is just kind of the the new fintech, you know, moving to e-mortgages, moving to kind of smoother, more efficient operations, leveraging uh, the internet more efficiently. Uh, I think that uh, that's been going on, and and I think in some ways you th those push accelerates when you when you get into something like a pandemic when people need to communicate in in non traditional ways. That that part of it may the operational side may be slowing down, uh, but when when you have less customers, the ability to reach out and market to them becomes even more important. So I think. You know the 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 aspects of fintech where you're able to reach out to consumers through social media or through other methods. Now that's going to become the bigger bigger feature of fintech. But that's that's always going to be there, and that's certainly a, an important trend these days. Yeah, that's a great point that you're making for sure. And really, in a lot of ways, I think some of the some of the manual component of mortgage banking is fading and should have faded a long time ago. So I'm glad that the rise of fintech is happening because I think it's good for the co the consumer. Likewise, the mortgage lenders, it's going to be a differentiator for sure. But talk about since you've been in this business a long time, how do you keep up with all the changes? I mean, you've been at big companies, little companies, you've had your own company. Mortgage banking changes on a dime very quickly. So how do you keep up to date? It's always a challenge. I think you know one of the few benefits of of getting older, Pat, is uh, is you get to you you have a a much wider group of contacts, and uh, and so I'm I'm fortunate in that uh, I have many well placed uh, people in senior positions throughout the industry, and I try to stay in regular contact with uh, as many of them as I can, and and try to stay on good terms with them. That's you know they. That's an old adage in mortgage banking. You have to be nice to everybody because you never know when when you'll be working with them again <laughs> down the road. So so I, I try to stay. So I, but I'm fortunate that I I do know a lot of people in the business. But there's also you know you I, I stay in touch with the financial and read the trade rags so that I try to uh, you know if there's something I'm missing or or don't quite understand. I might get my first hint from the news sources within the industry, and then reach out to one of uh, one of my friends and former colleagues to see if uh, if I can understand uh, or catch that trend a little bit better. Well, mortgage banking, you definitely have to have buddies. I would definitely agree with that because, uh, in other words, this business is incredibly complex, and so that's really a smart strategy. And really, all the all the great uh, long termers like yourself and myself. I mean, that's one of our claim to fames. I think that we know a lot of people for sure. Uh, so let's talk about this world of financing delinquent loans in today's market. I thought it was an interesting topic because certainly forbearance had its run. This whole issue about overpricing and all of that and the component of inflation leads to this issue about delinquency. And of course, 
just as a side note, when I came into the business, I was a collector. That was my first job. So this hits home for sure. So talk about how you see that market. That market has been kind of the market for the second half of 2021. And and it's basically the source of it is mostly Ginnie Mae delinquent loans that a servicer who is servicing Ginnie Mae loans has to advance uh, principal and interest regardless of whether they've received that payment from the borrower. Now, if you hit a pandemic type crisis and at the peak of the pandemic back a uh, uh, year and a half ago, we were talking about delinquency rates on the Ginnie Mae portfolios of in excess of 13%. So it was kind of low teens at their peak. And, and so it was uh, quite, and that means that would normally mean a lot of out-of-pocket cash advanced by the by the servicer. Now, at the same time, rates were low so that the payoffs that were going on were sufficient to kind of offset those advances. But there still comes a reckoning because if the foreclosure is completed, you you know you you were advancing at a at a pass-through rate that say on a four and a half percent loan that would probably be four percent in in a Gini pool. And uh, and your your reimbursement's not at four. It's 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 less than that. It's a the debenture rate. So which is you know, typically uh, tied close to the ten year rates. So so much less than that. So you you have this this loss, and that's part of the foreclosure losses uh, on an FHA loan. If you buy the loan out of the pool and you're able to finance it at a lower cost than that four percent, then you're you're I don't want to call it arbitrage, you're just more efficient financing cost, and that reduces your overall foreclosure loss. So that was that was the main impetus of, of buying the loans out. A second, maybe just as important influence was that if you're able to cure any loans, a cured government-insured loan can be put back into a Ginnie Mae pool. So you can resell it to, to uh, Ginnie Mae. And again, if that loan was at 4%, and you were able to cure it, uh, or four, four and a half, you can sell it to a in, back into a Ginny May four percent pool, which you know they were paying one hundred five, one hundred six, uh, you know, eight months ago. They're still you know, around one hundred two or so today. So it's uh, you, you know, there's still some kind of gain on sale. And remember, you're not. There's no origination costs. There's no LO fees. You're, this is essentially servicing costs that you would have had anyway, whether or not you bought the loan out. So those are kind of sunk costs, and and the gain is pretty much uh, all to you. So to the extent you're able to cure these loans, you're able to to get both a gain on sale and a reduction of carry costs. So those two uh, were material in in uh, the latter half of last year and that's why this activity was so big and i was fortunate to team up with a money market fund and and we're still offering these programs to finance and help a number of our our client servicers non-bank servicers finance these buyouts we also finance things like uh, tax and insurance advances as well so it it really eases the burden of advance and gives them the opportunity to make some gain on sale. Now, all, all of that is still the case, but to a much less degree with the market moves we've had in the last 90 days or so. So whereas it was a pretty easy decision to buy out maybe eight out of 10 of those delinquent loans uh, back in uh, 
uh, you know, middle of last year, maybe it's now more like two out of 10 that makes sense. But still, that's two out of 10, that's 20% uh, of your delinquent portfolio. It still makes sense to, to, uh, to get involved in these, these financing programs. So I, I, I can speak, uh, you know, the other thing that made it especially attractive is the, is the fact that these forbearance loans were curing, you know, Historically, Pat, cure rates, uh, you know, if the economy's weak, they run uh, for a 90-day delinquent to, to get back to performing. Maybe, you know, one out of six, one out of five loans would, would re-perform. If the economy's good, it might be you know, one out of three loans re-performing. So somewhere between maybe 15 and 35% would cure in, in normal times. But with the pandemic uh, the, uh, and the forbearance rules that HUD put in place, and, and not just HUD, but FHFA, the government in general, uh, gave very accommodating uh, loss mid opportunities that weren't normally available, that were available for forbearance loans. And we saw cure rates for forbearance loans in the 60 to 80% range, some some even some servicers were even as high as, as the low 90s. And at those rates, uh, with the gain on sale, it was like hugely, uh, you, you actually could make money on a 90-day delinquent. That's that's very unusual, but uh, but it does occasionally happen. And uh, it's, you know, I, I, I often joke, you know, in, when you were a mortgage originator and servicer, and if you're a mortgage banker, you're, busy giving options to your borrowers, right? They can refi and pay off whenever they want. You don't get to control that. Uh, when you've locked a loan, those borrowers are not obligated to close with you. So there's, you know, the, you're always giving the borrowers options and the mortgage banker has got to manage that option risk. And there are all sorts of hedging strategies around all of that. But here's, this is one of the few places where, where the mortgage servicer has the option to decide to buy out a loan or not. And if it makes sense, they should do it. If it doesn't, then they don't. So it's been a, a very good program and successful uh, for uh, for our clients and, uh, and of course, for Actigram. So talk about the investors. In other words, who are the types of companies that you compete against for the financing? Do you see warehouse lenders entering this market or, or talk about who who are the parties typically that you're up against? So in the peak of the uh, the activity last year, our, our biggest competition was actually Wall Street firms coming in and buying these delinquent loans out. And they would typically buy them at par. Mm -hmm. So they'd, they'd pay the principal balance that was outstanding. And when the market was super heated up, they would pay pay the advances, tax advances, insurance advances, and interest advances. And so essentially make the servicer whole, which looks really attractive to a servicer. I, I've got delinquent loans and you're taking me out of that uh, that uh, potentially disastrous scenario and you're going to take on all the risks. So that looks very attractive. The fact is, with those reinstates that I was talking about, kind of back of the envelope uh, last year, if, if you could reinstate more than 40% of those loans, it made more sense to buy to finance the loan and then resell it because you're getting so much gain on sale on that 40%. And you know, the Wall Street guys are not uh, 
you know, they're not stupid. They're, you know, they, they run the numbers too. And so that's why they could pay such an attractive fee. So we, we lost a number of, of uh, opportunities to uh, Wall Street firms. And again, they're, they're taking, it certainly gets all the risk off the table. And a lot of uh, mortgage bankers uh, prefer that choice than a choice where you have a little risk, like if you can't cure these loans, but to the extent if you're able to cure them at uh, at anywhere near the expected rates, then then it's better to, to hold and finance it. So we our competitors were mostly street firms who would buy it, and then so they were they did a couple of securities, Pat. So uh, so there are a couple of securities out there of these non-performing EBOs, or EBO is early pool buyouts. That's the right. nomenclature we use. So. so talk about how it mechanically it works. So in other words, when you're bidding, you're bidding on a per loan basis. So let's say they have 10 loans and you're putting in a pricing and then the lender is, is evaluating whether, well, I'm going to only sell two of them or are you looking at it loan by loan? Well, we would get a servicer's tape and mm -hmm. typically, you know, if we're doing the financing, it's the servicer who makes that decision and we would advise them and say, look, mm -hmm. At our current financing costs and anticipated costs, if you're worried about rates going up, and here's where the market is, you know, and here's where your historical cure rate is, if we do the analysis, it makes sense for you to finance these eight out of 10 loans in your portfolio that are eligible for buyouts. The Wall Street firm may come in there and say, we'll bid these eight out of 10, and then we'll buy them out. We'll give you the cash. The servicer obviously is the one as servicer of record who has to do the buyout. But mm -hmm. then the Wall Street firm would buy them and transfer them over just like a servicing transfer. And sometimes they keep the servicer. They just become the owner of record. Other times they transfer to a servicer who who they they work with uh, on a regular basis. So so it's it's sort of a hybrid loan purchase uh, mm -hmm. servicing transfer type of, uh, of structure when the loans are sold. When they're financed, they just stay with the servicer. So when you're looking at, let's say, the, the types of transactions that were done, is this typically from big lenders or is this typically like the smaller lender has this opportunity to actually do this? Talk about how that works. Yeah, the the so it's since we're focused on Ginnie Mae, it's obviously the Ginnie Mae servicers that sure. matter. And of course, banks can do this financing. In fact, they did. You know, you could look at Wells uh, quarterly reports. They were buying out uh, over a billion dollars of of uh, ninety day delinquent loans uh, at the heart of the pandemic uh, uh, a little over a year ago. Um, and and they can do it because they have their own, you know, their their own funding source, their own demand deposits, and essentially essentially fund it for free. So we would focus on non bank. Ginnie Mae portfolio lenders. Uh, there is some, not a whole lot of uh, scale economies there. You have to be able to work with a trustee and custodian and the doc custodians that, you know, if you're issuing Ginnie Mae's or you're familiar with, you already have a doc custodian. So it's really not a lot of setup. There's not a lot of uh, con the contract. The structure is uh, is uh, like a like a repo transaction so those are standard repo documents with some some extra guarantees to help the servicer know that their their delinquent loans will be financed through the conclusion of the of the foreclosure so it's a simple structure from a financing standpoint they don't need to do a whole lot of things differently so if you had to say 
for the remaining of the year. How do you see this market and what do you think it's going to look like? Well, it's, you know, the, the market is, we're funding short-term, we're using short-term funds to finance a long-term asset. You know, a, a loan is priced typically, you know, with a seven to 10 year and mm -hmm. beyond part of the curve. And, you know, our financing cost is essentially a monthly cost. So to the extent that that part of the curve is steep, then the financing opportunities become more apparent. And so right now that's, it's pretty steep, but the irony is that most of the Ginny Mae portfolio right now is based on last year's rates. So, you know, right, you're, you, you haven't originated too many of those four and a half and 5% loans. You still have a lot of threes and three and a halfs in your portfolio. So the, the, the amount of buyouts that we can do that, that are beneficial to the servicer is less than what it was, you know, second, third and fourth quarter of last year. But as I said before, there's still some opportunity down the road. I think that opportunity will grow as long as those, you know, as, as the, the new higher delinquent Gini Mae portfolios start uh, growing and I'm sorry, the higher rate Gini Mae portfolios start seasoning and we get some delinquencies there, that short-term, long-term spread will benefit a buyout more advantageously. So, I you know, the market's down uh, substantially from the last three or four quarters, but I imagine it'll stay kind of at this level and then grow again, say maybe third, fourth quarter of of this year. Uh, that's my expectation. Now, that's a really good point. Well, we only have a few more minutes left. So a couple of takeaways that you have for our listeners today about this uh, market. Yeah, I would say on the delinquent loan uh, markets, this uh, it's something that every non-bank servicer should be looking at and I, they don't have to finance it. But again, this is as I said before, this is one of the few opportunities that where we have the option, we as the mortgage bank, uh, instead of giving our options to our to our borrowers, we, we get to choose whether or not to buy the loan out. So they should be looking at their portfolio and carefully. And again, you know, whereas uh, last year might be eight out of 10 of the loans in your portfolio were, were should have been bought out. Uh, again, my my rough estimate is it's on the order of two out of ten right now. So you should especially look uh, look to that. And and you know, interestingly enough, it's uh, the the ones that are most attractive are also the ones most at risk. So the the lower FICO ones will typically have the higher interest rates uh, originated to reflect that extra risk. And, and those very same ones, when you buy them out, you'll be cheaper financing. And, and to the extent you can cure them, then uh, sell them back at, at a higher price. If you can't cure them, you've, you finance them at a, at a lower cost uh, through the foreclosure process. That's a really great point, and I think it's an interesting time period for lenders to be thinking about some alternative ways, certainly as refis kind of fade away. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for sharing all your wisdoms, and I want to thank everyone for listening. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks so much, Phil. Thanks, Pat. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.